split a series with the reigning champions, but they do it in a very annoying fashion by getting dominated in the final two games of the series, including Thursday's 7-3 loss. I'll break that down just a bit, preview the weekend's tilts against the White Sox, and I saw that the NFL draft started last night and the Lions drafted a tight end who had listed in his fun facts sidebar that he finished third in a 9-10 to year old national softball throw contest. So yeah, that looks like an excellent pick. But anyway, that got me inspired to talk about the MLB draft, which we'll do at the finish of the show on today's Locked on Tigers. It is Friday, April 26, 2019, and I am your host, Chris Brown. And as always, I remind you to download, rate, and review the show on all your various podcasting platforms like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Himalaya. And if you have a smart device, go ahead and tell that to play podcast Locked on Tigers. So yeah, some quick news and notes before we get to the recap. Casey Mize was promoted to Double A Erie. This was inevitable. Their number one pick from last year has been absolutely dominant in Lakeland. And so this really isn't news other than, yes, this it finally happened. But the big news actually came out after this game. It's going to be a spoiler for what happened. But Jordan Zimmerman left after three innings suffering from elbow discomfort. And according to Cody Stavenhagen of The Athletic, the Tigers were already considering bringing him a pitcher for the weekend series against the White Sox because the bullpen has been so taxed. So this could really start testing their pitching depth. And Zimmerman, of course, had Tommy John surgery in August of 2009, and I I think he was the first pitcher ever to get a $100 million deal in free agency after having Tommy John surgery. It was, you know, many years before, but there's generally kind of a belief that if you have Tommy John surgery once, you're eventually going to need it again. That's obviously not the case with everyone, but the the average length of time between two Tommy John surgeries for pitchers who've had two is five years and Zimmerman's well past that so so I don't know I guess we'll wait for the news but it could be bad so yeah let's let's uh, look what that discomfort led to in the first inning the Tigers get a one-out single from Nick Castellanos who moves to second on an error and then he moves to third on a Miguel Cabrera flyout and then Nico Goodrum walks so it's first and third two outs maybe a little bit of a, a threat here against Rick Porcello but Dixon flies out to center and that's it only 14 pitches no damage Zimmerman actually has a first inning that's okay. He walks the leadoff batter, but then gets a ground out and then a double play. Tigers don't do anything in the second, but the bad things start coming for Zimmerman here in the second. He gives up a one-out single to Xander Bogarts. I think it's a pop-out, but then gives up a, a long home run to Michael Chavis on a lazy slider that flew right over the heart of the plate. 2 nothing Red Sox, and then he walks Jackie Bradley Jr. and gets a strikeout to get out of it. Top of the third, Jacoby Jones, a good sign, because he hasn't hit much at all, crushes a double high off the wall in center field. And then Jackie Bradley Jr. actually bobbled a little bit, so Jones was able to get into third. And then right after that, Jamer Candelario hits an RBI single, and the Tigers have immediately made it 2-1. And then right after, Nick Castellanos hits a two-run homer off the pesky pole right down the right field line, the shortest possible home run you can hit in Major League Baseball. And it was just kind of funny the way it works. Nick Castellanos had led all of baseball with seven barrels without a home run, and he finally hits a home run yesterday, and it wasn't a barrel. It's just the way it goes. But then not much else happens that inning. And this is, uh, we head to the bottom of the third, the Zimmerman's last inning. He gets a ground out, but then he gives up a double to Mookie Betts. A wild pitch puts him on third. There's, and there's a walk. J.D. Martinez has an RBI single to tie it at three. Two batters later, Rafael Devers hits a two-run double off the wall to make it 5-3. Zimmerman gets a strikeout to end his day. And yeah, that's it. There's just three innings pitched for the second time in his last three outings. 77 pitches, five hits, five earned runs, three walks, two strikeouts. Just six swings and misses. And this is kind of what Zimmerman is in a nutshell here. If his slider and his curve aren't working, he can't be successful. And uh, that's what happened yesterday. He, he threw 31 breaking balls, 
Only got three swings and misses on those. And all five of the hits he allowed were on breaking balls. And they were all hit very hard, over 95 miles an hour. So, yeah, if he doesn't have it, he's got nothing. So, the fourth inning, Tigers don't do anything. A two-out single from John Hicks. Bottom of the fourth, Buck Farmer comes in. And he gets uh, a line out and a ground up and then gives up two consecutive doubles. And now it's 6-3. Fifth inning is uneventful, mostly, altogether. The Tigers go 1-2-3. They bring in Victor Alcantara to pitch for them. And he gives up a two-out single, but nothing more. Basically, the sixth inning was the Tigers' last chance to compete here. They get, they got a leadoff single from Nico Goodrum, his first hit of the series, although he's been walking a lot. And then they get a fly out, then a walk from Gordon Beckham. So that brings the tying run to the plate. But Josh Harrison strikes out on three pitches, and John Hicks grounds out, and, and that's it. Bottom of the sixth, Alcantara's still out there. He gives up a one-out double to Sandy Leone, his first hit of the year, and then a Benintendi double right after that to make it 7-3, and that's the final score. And not much more to talk about in this game other than the bottom of the seventh, I suppose, when Joe Jimenez came in and looked pretty good. He got uh, a fly out of J.D. Martinez and then two straight strikeouts, and he was consistently hitting 96 with his fastball, but the slider still looks really iffy. I think I think he's getting back to where he was, or getting close to where he was last year, but he needs to get that slider going or else it, he might run into trouble. And yeah, that's that's basically it. Daniel Stumpf got a nice 1-2-3 inning in the eighth, <laughs> but the Tigers did very little. They got a leadoff single and ninth from Josh Harrison, but no more. And that was that. Yeah, it was a pretty dull, uneventful game that brings the Tigers back to 500 at 12 and 12. They, you know, they're working hard out there, but they just aren't that good, and they definitely don't have the talent to overcome injuries, which seem to be piling up. But speaking of working hard, let's talk about employees. Good employees. Remember the days when hiring was really hard. There were multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done: ZipRecruiter.com/lockedon. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. They've got powerful matching technology that lets them scan thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply for the job. And as the applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one of the resumes and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a really good match. And ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who use it get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, Locked On listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And you wonder how long before the Tigers start using ZipRecruiter. So I won't be here over the weekend to cover these games, but I'll do a quick preview for you for the series against the White Sox, which we just saw them last week, so it's not going to be a whole lot of different things to report here. Friday night, it's Carlos Rodon against Daniel Norris. You'll recall that Rodon was excellent against the Tigers last week, giving up just three hits and one run over six innings. But for his part, Norris got terrific results too in his outing against the White Sox with five scoreless on just two hits. So I think the Tigers would love to get six or even seven innings out of him, but we'll see. I'm looking for progress there. Saturday's contest looks like it might actually be affected by rain, which is probably fine with the Tigers because they don't have a starter announced yet. The good money on that starter is probably Ryan Carpenter, who's really the only other starter on the 40-man roster right now. You may or may not remember that he actually started five times with the Tigers last year. Uh, I would think a lot of people want to forget. Yeah, He had one outing against the White Sox when he gave up six earned runs on nine hits and four and a third. And he's rocking a 6.30 ERA in Toledo right now, so don't expect much if he does come up. It's a fastball that sits at 90, a below-average slider, and a below-average changeup, and a decent curve. And he's going against Reynaldo Lopez, who the Tigers beat last week, but he actually pitched fairly well, so this one could get ugly. And the finale is Matthew Boyd, who is good, against Manny Banuelos, a 28-year-old lefty who was once upon a time considered a top 100 prospect. Uh, I believe back in those days it was with the Yankees and then possibly the Pirates. But he's pitching the majors this year for the first time since 2015, 
And he's mostly been out of the bullpen, but in his last outing, he started and threw four scoreless against Baltimore, which probably isn't that tough, but still, good for him. And he'll show a low 90s fastball and a good slider with the occasional curve and a, and a rare change to keep hitters off balance. So that's just a quick notes on that. And like I said, I'm going to finish here with MLB draft, uh, which is not at all like the NBA or the NFL draft. And, and I'll just quickly explain the differences here. So first of all, there's no trading. You can't trade your first round pick for a player or anything like that. There, there are I shouldn't say there's no trading, but I won't get into the very rare trades that involve competitive balance picks. There are 40 rounds. But the ones that matter are generally the top 10 rounds. And then each pick in those top 10 rounds is given a specific dollar value. And that value of each team's pick in the first 10 rounds goes into something called a bonus pool. And teams can then spend that bonus pool on players however they wish. Every pick after the 10th round is worth $125,000. So anything above that bonus you give gets taken out of that bonus pool. But this leads to some teams playing around with their bonus money where they'll give a guy that they pick in like the ninth or 10th round like a $10,000 bonus because he's a senior in college and doesn't have any leverage and they'll use that savings either to add to toward one of the high picks that they took to give him a higher bonus or maybe try to float a guy to the 11th round and give him extra money by using the 125000 that's already there. So yeah, anyway, that's that's just a quick overview of the MLB draft. And, and the consensus number one pick this year is a kid named Adley Rutschman. He's a switch-hitting catcher from Oregon State University, and he's currently hitting 422 with 13 home runs, 51 walks, and 26 strikeouts in 39 games. The MVP of the College World Series last year. He's a spectacular defender. He'll be the first Adley to ever play in the majors. And last year, bad teams were encouraged to play badly for Adley. So that was one of those fun things. The Orioles certainly did, and he seems like a lock to be picked by them, unless they play around with the money, like I was mentioning before. The next player to know is Bobby Witt Jr., the son of former MLB pitcher Bobby Witt. He has been known in, in scouting circles for a long time. He's a high schooler out of Texas, a lean kid with exceptional athleticism. He could have plus speed, plus power, and plus defense at shortstop. The only questions around him are involve a potentially below-average hit tool. There's some questions there. Other people are fine with it. And that he'll be 19 when he's drafted. And generally speaking, that they've done studies and found that the younger you are when you get to pro ball, the better your chances of success are. Uh, you know, it's a little bit different based on college and high school, but 19 is pretty old for a high schooler. He's tied to the Royals right now, though, and it seems like he's probably going to go there. But there's, you, know, you can cross your fingers and hope he falls to the Tigers at number five. Next player is Andrew Vaughn, a first baseman from the University of California. He's very unusual choice for the top five because he's a right-handed throwing, right-handed hitting first baseman. And he's not even six feet tall. And, and first basemen, in general, just don't go in the top ten. You, you know, it's just not a terribly valuable position on defense. And if the guys can't play it, there's not much room for them to move. But Vaughn is kind of a special hitter. <laughs> he uh, he won the Golden Spikes Award last year, which is given to college baseball's best player. And he did that because he hit 402 with 23 home runs, 44 walks, and 18 strikeouts. Just absurd offensive numbers. He hasn't been quite as good this year, but he's still hitting 380 with power and more walks and strikeouts. So... What are you going to do there? Current speculation is that he's going to be headed to the White Sox with a third pick, so we'll see how that plays out. Things get a little bit foggy from there. Uh, C.J. Abrams is a high school shortstop from Georgia who has strong natural hitting tools, and he's near top of the scale speed, really fast, and he's a terrific athlete. But uh, some scouts think he's a better fit at second base or center field than shortstop. Though, uh, you know, if you draft him this high, you're going to give him a chance to stick a shortstop, I think. And he, he's got a solid frame, but there's some questions about his potential power just because of the way he approaches hitting. But he's long been considered a top-five talent, and yet it doesn't seem like he's going to go in the top-five this year. I don't think the Tigers are going to take him if he's there. I do think the Tigers will take Riley Green. He is a high school outfielder from Florida. He has good size, about 6'2", 190, and he's generally considered the best pure hitter among 
the high schoolers this year. He's got a pretty left-handed swing and, and kind of projects to be a plus hitter with plus power. And he'll show above average run times and arm strength in showcase settings, but it doesn't really show up in, in games. He's generally considered kind of a lesser athlete who was going to be stuck playing a corner outfield, possibly left field because of his arm. So I, I don't know, in my head, I kind of compare him to like a left-handed, he's like a left-handed Nick Castellanos. So that's certainly not a bad thing, but it's just a little unsexy. But yeah, the Tigers are heavily tied to him, and I even five weeks away from the draft, I'd be kind of shocked if they end up taking somebody else. Just kind of depends if somebody else falls. Uh, then we got J.J. Bladé, a right fielder at Vanderbilt University. He's long been considered a very good hitter. He hit 368 last year, and this year the power has finally shown up. He's currently got 20 home runs while hitting 363 in college. Uh, he's also not going to add a whole lot on defense, but he should be okay in the outfield. And he seems to be the consensus third college bat behind Rutschman and Vaughn. So he could actually go to fourth to the Marlins, or he might go a little bit later. And then we get into a couple of pitchers. And, and for a long time, it looked like there wouldn't be any pitchers taken in the top ten of this draft. It's generally considered a weak draft. But a couple of guys have, have been pitching really well this year, and one of them is Nick Lodolo. He's a tall, six foot six lefty starter from Texas Christian. The Pittsburgh Pirates actually took him in the first round back in 2016, but he didn't sign. And then he's had kind of two very pedestrian seasons at TCU, but seems to have put it all together this year. He's got a 2-2-0 ERA with 77 strikeouts in 12 walks in 65 innings. And he's showing a fastball that's hit in the mid-90s, and he seems to have finally gotten control of his curveball, and he's got a solid change. But he's another guy who could also go to Miami at number four. And then behind him, you've got Alec Manoa, who is a six foot seven, two hundred seventy pound monster of a man who throws in the upper nineties and has a nasty slider and a good changeup. I, I once compared him to Ogre from the Revenge of the Nerd movies because he's just this giant human being. But yeah, he spent his first two seasons at West Virginia University as mostly a reliever, but he's been starting this year and he's been absolutely dominant. He's got a one point eight one ERA with ninety five strikeouts and just fifteen walks and sixty nine innings. So we go to Bryson Stott, the shortstop from University of Nevada, Las Vegas, UNLV. He's a bit bigger for a shortstop at six three, two hundred pounds or so, but he's got uh, he looks like he could be an above average defender with above average hitting and speed. And he, he takes a ton of walks, too. And he's got a little room to add strength. It, it's not a super sexy profile, but he could be a very solid value pick. And sounds like the Tigers have looked into him, but it seems unlikely that they pick him to me if, if Green is available. Uh, they haven't drafted a shortstop in the first round since 2002. Not that that necessarily means anything. It just seems like they, they tend to avoid that. And I'll finish with Hunter Bishop. He's a big six foot five athletic outfielder from Arizona State. He struggled in his first two seasons, but he's putting it all together this year. He's hitting 380 with 17 homers, 11 steals, and as many walks as strikeouts. He has the speed and defensive ability to handle center field, although his arm is a little bit light. And he reminds me in some ways of Parker Meadows, who the Tigers took in the, the second round last year, although Meadows has a better arm. And his uh, Bishop's older brother is in the Mariners system, so there's a little bit of bloodlines there. But yeah, I, that's it. That was just some names for you guys to know. I appreciate you indulging my draft nerdery. And you can learn more about them in my weekly draft updates at Tigestown, which come out every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, one of those days. Uh, yeah, and, you know, if you care more about the NFL draft, I'm sure you can go ahead and check out all the information on your favorite team's picks on the Locked On NFL podcasts. And uh, maybe you're more interested in the NBA playoffs, so check out those Locked On NBA podcasts. And I'm done for the week here for the Tigers, but I'll be back on Monday to break down the White Sox series, and I hope to see you then. And once again, thanks for listening.